So this morning's message is limits of liberty. I told you before, we're talking about liberty, we're talking about freedom. And just as an introduction, I'm going to give you a really quick acrostic, and you'll understand in a moment why I'm telling you this. This is what is distinct or unique about a Baptist church. First of all, we believe in, do I have this on? I'm going to control it, Robert, just so I can do it. We believe in biblical authority. God's word is the authority for our lives and for the church. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. We're part of a fellowship, but we're not part of a denomination. We're not part of a larger group that tells us what to do or how to do it. And that is a scriptural principle. We believe in the priesthood of believers. There's no one between you and God. Jesus Christ is the mediator. He died on the cross for us, and we have direct access to our God because of that. There are two ordinances, baptism and communion, and these are both symbolic. Neither of these um, get you saved, and neither one of these puts you in a better standing with God. But they're things that, as we did today in communion, we're remembering what Christ did for us, and baptism is a symbol of you saying, I'm all in with Jesus. I want to follow him and be his disciple. This is the one we're going to talk about more today. Individual soul liberty, that you will stand before God individually and you will answer to God for yourself. We believe that our members will be saved and baptized. Otherwise, it's just a collection of people who have gathered on a Sunday. But Baptist churches believe that members should be saved, believers, and be baptized before joining the church. T, there are two offices in our church, the pastor and the deacon serving in leadership positions. And then an S that was added on just to clarify things, and this is even more of a freedom in America, and that is the separation of church and state. You hear people using this to say, well, we can't pray in school because there's a separation of church and state. That's not what Thomas Jefferson said. Thomas Jefferson said, the government, the state, will not tell people what religion to follow. We're not going to tell you what to believe. And that's the separation, that the government is not forcing a faith on people, not forcing a church. And so these are things that are distinct and unique to Baptists. There are other churches that believe a lot of these things, but if you go through this whole list, you'll see that these are not only biblical principles, but they're things that you'll find in most churches that would call themselves Baptist. So the one that we're focusing on today is, I should look at my notes, soul liberty. And here's a quick definition of that. Every individual, whether a believer or an unbeliever, has the freedom to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right in the religious realm. Soul liberty asks the believer to accept responsibility for his own actions and not to force anyone else to do or believe anything contrary to his own conscience. As Kenzie read for us in Romans 14, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. God is our judge, so don't judge other people. Individual soul liberty. And this is really important because our liberty is not a justification. It's not an excuse for disobeying God. The believer still has to act according to principles of Scripture to honor the doctrinal position of Bible-believing Baptist church to which he or she belongs. 
It's not an excuse to be unloving to other people. So when we talk about this liberty, it's not, I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what it does to anybody else. It's, I want to honor God and I answer to God directly. So we're continuing a series. Um, I must have missed that slide that says the series, but it's called Living in Light of Eternity. And the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and that's where we get the name 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter to the people of Corinth. It was a seaport city. It was part of the Roman trade route, and it had people from all different backgrounds. It's kind of like Buffalo, where there's people from different countries, different um, nationalities, even different languages, people from lots of different religious backgrounds, all in one place. It's like what we would consider a metropolitan area today. And along with all of those different ideas, there were also things like abuse of power in the government. There were problems with sexual immorality. There were problems with families falling apart and marriages not being um, kept up. And some of the questions that the people in Corinth asked Paul to deal with are the same things we're dealing with today, 2,000 years ago. So you may look back and see pictures of people wearing togas and say, oh, that's like a totally different group of people. They're nothing like us today. Their clothes were different, but they dealt with the same issues that we deal with today. And so as we read this letter, we're looking for what did God say to these people in Corinth? How did he help them resolve these issues? But then what are the principles that we can apply to our lives today? So today we're going to tackle 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we have time to read the whole chapter. Have you ever done that, read a whole chapter of the Bible? You can follow along on the screen. You can pull out a Bible from in front of you to make sure that I'm not making any of this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many lowercase gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols Eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak brother, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The opening phrase at the beginning of the chapter says, now concerning. And that's letting us know that Paul is answering another specific question from the church members. We saw that in chapter 7, verse 1, in chapter 7, verse 25, and he's using it again now. Now, now concerning food offered to idols, let me answer this question. I don't know if they had a little box that had like comments box that people dropped questions into or if they sent them by messenger to Paul, but somehow Paul is getting these lists of questions and he wants to address them for the church. And this question is specifically about food. Does food matter? Does what we eat matter? Is it okay to eat food that was offered to an idol? And you may be sitting here this morning saying, why are we even talking about this, Pastor Mark? This was 2,000 years ago. We don't have idols. We don't have food offered to idols. Why are we even talking about it? Well, in some parts of the world, that is still happening. But here in America, we don't see a lot of temples with food offerings. But hang in there. If you listen and continue to see what God's word says, you're going to see some principles about our liberty, about our freedom in Christ. And when Paul is talking about knowledge, that's the understanding of what God's word is saying. So as he's using that word knowledge, it's not just general knowledge. It's do you understand what food offered to idols means spiritually? And are you using that knowledge to help other people or using it in a way that is hurting them? So there's several groups of people. First of all, we need to understand what Paul was addressing in Corinth. There were Jewish people who became believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And then there were non-Jewish or Gentile believers, people who became followers of Jesus Christ. The Jews were accustomed to following all kinds of food laws, and many Jewish people continue to do this today. They're the kosher laws. And you'll see um, letters like approved for Passover. You'll see things on packaging if you look at it. Ask George Pilgrim. He knows all about this. He dealt with rabbis approving that things were produced in the right way. So the Jewish people were used to what you can eat and what you can't eat. But then the Gentiles were, most of them, pagan worshipers of idols. Think about Greece. Think about Rome. Think about these lists of gods, all lowercase, of all kinds of different things. Right? They had the god of the moon and the goddess of the sun and all of these different little gods who controlled all different parts of your life and you had to appease these gods in order to make things okay in your life. If, if something was going wrong with your crops, then you had to go give an offering to the god of the harvest. And if things were going poorly in starting a family, you had to go find the fertility goddess and give her an offering. And you had to answer to all of these different gods. Most of the time, you're giving them an offering and saying, just grant my request and leave me alone. I don't want you to know me. I don't want you to be with me. Just take it and do what I'm asking you to. So if this god or goddess approved your favor, then the food was 
offered to an idol. It was, it was placed in front of one of these idols. And in this day and age, people believed that you could be possessed by demons or spirits as you ate food because it's coming into your body. Just like when you breathe in, you might breathe in something toxic and start coughing, right? So they believed that a spirit could come in while your mouth was open and while you were eating food. So they wanted their food to be demon-free. And one of the ways of doing that was presenting it first to an idol, and then it was declared safe. Some of that food would be burned on the altar. Some of it was given to feed the priests and their families who served in the temple. And then a portion of it was given back to the person, and they could eat it. So it's kind of like, here's my food, can I have some of that back? Kind of, that was the way people thought it was safe. And then whatever was left over, the priests would serve at religious feasts and even sell in the market. So you could go out and see a little sticker that said, you know, offered to this idol or that idol, and you could buy that in the market. So when Paul is talking about knowledge, it's understanding. Verse 1, understanding that none of this really matters. In verse 4, he says, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there's really only one God. If these idols don't exist, then does it matter if you put your hamburger in front of them before you eat it? It's just a block of wood. It's just a piece of stone. It's metal of some kind, gold or silver, that someone fashioned with their hands. A human person created this. How could you turn around and worship something that you just created? So Paul says, believers, we understand that there are really no gods and goddesses. Yes, there are spirits, there are evil spirits out in the world, and Satan does exist, but there's no gods and goddesses that we're appeasing. There's only one God. So food used as an offering is still just food. It hasn't changed. Nothing has changed in that food other than it's been sitting out for a couple hours and you might want to wash it before you eat it. It doesn't make any difference to those of us who understand this, but it still matters to some people. Listen to verse 6 again. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. The exact same phrases are used to describe God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Everything was made by God, and we exist in him. Jesus is the one Lord through whom everything was made and through whom we exist. He's clearly saying Jesus is God. The Son and the Father are the same, and we exist to glorify God. Our liberty, our freedom means that we're supposed to be glorifying God, not ourselves. It's not about us. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the knowledge that he's talking about. You'll understand spiritual things. You'll understand what sin is and you'll understand what forgiveness is. Jesus died on the cross 
And his blood paid the debt for our sin. He redeemed us. He paid for our freedom. And it's not only the freedom from sin, but it's also freedom from the ultimate penalty of separation from God forever in hell. But it also gave the Jews especially freedom from judgment by the law. They believed that they had to keep the entire law in order to be righteous before God. God never told them that. He said, here's the law, and while you're trying to live it, you're going to realize you can't keep it all. There's got to be something else. And he promised, I'll send a Messiah. I'll send a Redeemer to save you from your sins. Frank is teaching the book of Romans in one of our adult classes, and you can join that class today. Last week in Romans 3, we saw that the law's purpose was to show us that we are all sinners. Every one of us fails in being righteous or right before God. But there's amazing freedom by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1-2, which we didn't get to yet in that class, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have liberty in Jesus Christ. We're called to obey him freely, not under compulsion, trying to keep all of the law in order to be righteous, but we are freely given the ability to follow him. And we're saved, as Paul says, by faith. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by keeping the law because then one of us could say, well, I earned my way here. And unfortunately, that's what so many people continue to go by. Did I do enough good things that God will say, okay, I'll give you a pass? Romans tells us that none of us can get a pass. None of us have done anything good enough to earn that. It's only Jesus Christ's death that can make us right with God. So that's what our Christian liberty is all about. The aim of our liberty, our freedom, is not simply that we have the knowledge that we're free from sin, but now we are free to love and serve God. We're free to love and serve other people. Yes, we're free from the religious laws about sacrifices and about food, but Paul says knowing a lot simply is just going to puff you up. It's going to make you boastful. It's going to make you self-centered. It's going to make you say, well, I know more than you do, so I'm a better follower of Jesus. And Paul says, don't do that. Your knowledge of your freedom could cause you to brag or to flaunt that in front of other people and say, yeah, I can can do whatever I want now that I'm a follower of Jesus. It could also cause us to judge others, to look at them and say, you're not as good as I am. But love, on the other hand, love always puts the other person first. Love builds up others. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our ultimate aim is to glorify God, to show his character, and that it mostly includes showing his love to other people. In verse 9, Paul said, take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Make sure that your freedom to do things doesn't hurt someone else. 
For instance, that person may see you sitting down in a pagan temple and eating food that you know is just food. But if they came from that temple, then they may sit down with you and say, oh, I remember this celebration. I used to enjoy coming here and enjoying this food. Maybe I'll just stay for the service. And you're going to see someone who is a new believer drawn right back in to their old pagan worship, celebrating the old feasts and forgetting about their new faith in Christ. Verse 11 says, Your knowledge, your liberty, instead of freeing you, may enslave another brother or sister back to their sin. And so Paul uses a visual idea of a stumbling block. And this is much too big for me to ignore. But if something is in front of me and you're walking along, for instance, walking in the woods and there's a root. How many of you have tripped on a root? If you trip on a sidewalk crack, right? That's another one. We're walking along and all of a sudden we trip and and you look around. Did anybody see me? No. There must have been something there, right? I'm not just a big doofus. I obviously tripped. A stumbling block is something you don't see in the path in front of you that is going to cause you to trip, fall, and hurt yourself. So in scriptural terms, he's using that example to say falling is going back to sin, going back to the old ways that you lived and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. So Paul says instead, don't be a stumbling block for someone else. Don't let your life be the cause of another brother or sister to fall down into sin. We're called to stand firm, to walk worthy, not to trip and fall. And this picture of our spiritual journey in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is talked about all over the place in the Bible as being a walk. We walk with the Lord. We walk with our brothers and sisters. In this time period, people walked everywhere. They didn't have cars, so they talked about life as your walk, the way you live. And Paul says, if eating this food is going to cause my brother to sin or to stumble, then I'm just going to give up meat and I'll never eat it again. That seems pretty extreme for those of us that like meat. Imagine those of you who meet somebody special. You're starting to get to know them. You're enjoying their company. You get to maybe go to their family's house for a celebration, for a holiday. And then you find out that this person hates dogs and would never want a dog in the house. Or maybe they're vegan. And the sight and smell of a nice, juicy prime cut just makes them totally sick. Would you still marry him or her? Or is that relationship swipe the wrong direction? I don't even know which way I'm supposed to swipe away, but they're, they're out of the picture, right? You just learned that this person is not going to fit in your life. Or maybe your love for that person is strong enough to give up something that you love. And you're not doing it just to say, well, I'll convince them after time that dogs are okay or that meat's okay. You're going to it saying, I'm done with this. I can give that up. I'll never listen to jazz again in the car because my wife hates it. I still do sometimes, but I turn it down low. Jesus said, I died for the church. Are you willing to die for your selfishness, for your own personal desires, 
for the sake of the church, for the love of your brother or sister in the Lord? Jesus literally died. Can I give up garlic bread? Can I give up meat? Can I give up a pet? Can I give up something that is important to me because I love this person? Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then later in Galatians 5.24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So our liberty, the aim of our liberty is not only to glorify God, but to love others. Love the people around us by building them up, not seeing them trip and fall. So we can't use our liberty as an excuse to sin against our brother or sister and sin against God. Jesus didn't die so that you would be free to hurt someone else. He died so that you'd be free of your selfishness so that you would want to love and serve others as he loves and serves us. Use your liberty in a way that loves others. So Paul says, if that means eating meat is going to hurt my brother, then I'm just not going to eat meat. It's about building up. It's about encouraging others, not proving that I know that I can do whatever I want or that I'm strong enough to do this without it being a problem. It's a sacrifice that any one of us should be willing to make out of love for our Christian brothers and sisters. If you have children at home, there are probably some intense movies that you're going to avoid watching with them. If your spouse or family member just started a new low-fat diet or a no-sugar diet or gluten-free diet, you would hopefully not put a rich pecan pie in front of them for dessert. Sorry, I'm making myself hungry. If you have a classmate in school who has a nut allergy, then you're going to give up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches Monday through Friday because you care about them. You don't want to see them harmed. You're going to give up your Reese's peanut butter cups as snacks. Or if a friend has a personal conviction about the music that he or she listens to or things that they just can't listen to as a new believer, then you're going to change the station. You're going to put on a different playlist when you're with them because you care about them. Galatians 6.2, Paul said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That means when someone else is hurting, when someone else is weak in some area, I'm going to come alongside and help carry that burden for them. And that's going to take something away from me. It's going to take my strength and my energy to deal with whatever this person is struggling with. Here's the big notice for this whole message. This is talking about a weaker brother or sister. It's talking about a newer believer, one who doesn't understand their freedom in Christ. It may be someone who's been saved after really strong addictions. It may be someone who was saved from a cult or some kind of uh, group where their life was just in total control by some other person. It's not talking about judging someone else's liberty and telling them what he or she should or shouldn't do. 
We don't go around telling everyone to follow my personal convictions when it comes to areas of Christian liberty. That's called legalism. The areas are going to be different for each culture and for each time period. We don't have an issue with food offered to idols in 21st century America. But we do have different holidays that people celebrate, like Columbus Day. Who knew that that was going to become controversial? Obviously, Halloween, Asian New Year, even Passover. There are people who say, I want to continue to celebrate this, and there are people who are going to say, I don't need to celebrate that anymore, or I don't want to because it reminds me of my past. We have cultural entertainment choices like movies and TV, media apps, theater, books. There may be things that have, someone has a personal problem with or a family decision, say we're going to avoid that completely. Alcohol and tobacco have been more or less accepted in different eras and different cultures. And there are lots of biblical principles that we can apply to our lives as we look at how should I glorify God and how should I watch out for my family. But those are personal choices that we make. Here are some quick examples of verses that talk about how we treat our bodies, our finances, how we work, what we eat and drink, even our humor and our entertainment. I'm just going to read these really fast. They're on the screen there if you want to jot down the references. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body, your physical body. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If someone is not willing to work, then let him not eat. We hear that there are some among you that are idlers, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Who knew that verse, that word was in the body, in the Bible? Busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness should not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And then finally, this summation. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live. As, not as unwise, but as wise. So here are some takeaways, some thoughts that you might want to jot down or even just things you might want to consider and talk about later. We have a growth group tonight at Eliana and Alex's home, so you can come and talk with us tonight about them. You may understand with your biblical knowledge that something is acceptable for you, but love will tell you that because a newer believer has not yet reached this place, you shouldn't take advantage of that freedom. Something that is okay for you, but someone else is struggling with, you are going to leave that thing out. Teens and kids, listen up. Are you all listening? Let me see your eyeballs. If your parents have decided that something is right or wrong for your family, then you have to honor and obey them and their decision. 
You may say, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? Doesn't the Bible say this or that? You can respectfully ask questions and you can better understand why they made those choices, but don't keep arguing with them. Say, this is what our family is doing. And when you're an adult, you get to make those decisions for yourself and your family. The Bible says, honor your parents and obey your mother and your father. If you can respectfully understand why they made those choices, why I can't go to that movie or why I can't do this or go to that place, have the conversation as you get older. But listen to your parents because they are doing this because they love you and they care about you. Here are some other categories that you might want to think about. We talked about movie and TV. Um, politics. COVID. Guns. Immigration. Labor unions, pets, Christian school versus homeschool versus public school, hunting, podcasts, LGBTQ plus issues. How are you talking about these things? And to whom are you speaking? Does this person have a family member who has struggled in one of these areas? They're going to be a lot more sensitive to this. If you don't know this person's background, you don't know their family, then... Stay away from some of these subjects. We don't know all the people that are here this morning. I don't know all of you. I hope I get a chance to. But if I just start telling you of all the things that I like or don't like, I'm going to probably come across offensive, especially if I'm just seeing that nail and hammering it away. Am I going to say something that is going to hurt this person or question my love for them. Just because something is true doesn't mean you have to say it. Listen to that again. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. Scripture says, speak the truth in love, in a way that is encouraging and building up the other person, and it's the right time so that it would show them grace, not only that person, but anybody around that hears it. When's the right time to talk about it? When's the right place to talk about it? Is this person ready to have this conversation before you just go in with both barrels blazing? There's no reason to belittle someone. There's no reason to put down someone who is struggling with sin. If you're having a hard time dealing with something, is having someone yell at you going to make it better? My kids reminded me of this often. Dad, raising your voice doesn't help. I get it. For a lot of Christians, this has become a pastime of our discussion. Can you believe what's happening in our state? What's happening in our country? Did you hear what that idiot politician just said or did? They don't believe in office. They should be locked up. I'm going to post this on social media so everybody knows how much I hate him or her. Think about the blast radius of those kind of statements and all the people it's going to impact. Christians, we need to use our liberty wisely. Think about who you're talking to. And even though something may be true, it may not be the right time or the right person to talk to about it. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe it's because you've met a lot of unloving, hypocritical people who say they're Christians. I've heard that excuse from lots and lots of people. Why would I be, want to become like one of those people? 
those ranters, those people who are mad at everybody, who hate everybody, and they think they're perfect. Maybe you think you could love and follow Jesus, but you're just not so sure about loving and caring about the people in church. Well, to be honest with you, if you look around, this room is filled with sinners. The Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And he was the great apostle that we look to. Every one of us struggles with sin. But the difference is, when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you've humbled yourself and say, I can't earn my salvation. I can't be good enough for that. When you say, Jesus, will you save me? I believe I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Then you have a relationship with him. And scripture tells us we're going to continue to struggle with sin. We're going to continue to struggle with doing the right thing. But now God is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us, encouraging and guiding us. And hopefully you have a church with other people who are also encouraging you. Yes, any one of us could say the wrong thing at any time and somebody could offend you. But don't let people keep you from your Savior. Don't let that be an excuse to not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect churches. But we have a perfect Savior, the Son of God who lived a perfect, sinless life to show us what it looks like. And then he gave us his own life so we could be forgiven, so that we could be free from sin, free from judgment, and free from an eternity in hell. If you confess your sins and you accept Jesus as your Savior, he will start changing your life and the Holy Spirit will start showing you things that need to be changed. Things that you want to start obeying him in. But every one of us is at a different place in that process. Every believer is moving along that path and that's why the Bible says don't judge each other. Encourage each other, help each other, but don't hit somebody in the head with a hammer and say stop doing that. That's a horrible example. <laughs> Don't whack them upside the head. How about that? God promises that he will continue working on you, that he'll continue changing you to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, until the day that we see him face to face. God is working in the life of every believer, and he calls us to forgive each other, to show each other grace as we're all striving to be more like Jesus Christ, his son. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a closing song. I hope you'll come downstairs and have some coffee and some amazing refreshments. Stay for that class on Romans or let your kids go to one of the kids' classes. They're really great. We have youth group classes for teenagers too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our liberty. Thank you for dying to free us from sin, to free us from judgment, to free us from hell. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to give up your own life so that we could live and that we could live freely. Please help each one of us not use that freedom to hurt another brother or sister or to keep someone from coming to know you as Savior. Let us show the love that you've shown us. Let us forgive as you've forgiven us. Let us show mercy and grace as you show us mercy and grace. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, his son, 
that together with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.